Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Crime Land. My name is Julie J. And this week, I am joined by the truly fantastic... Gordon Rochford. To discuss the death of Judy Kibuishi. Gordo, thank you so much for taking time out of your high-profile podcasting career to come on this meager little podcast that I call Crimeland. Gordo, you have a podcast which we're going to give a huge shout-out to at the end. Not that it feckin' needs it, by the way, but of course you probably know Gordo from what wonderful podcast? Those Conspiracy Guys. And hit me at peak, at peak downloads. What were you hitting? I mean, in the because day, you've been on it, you've been on a little bit of a break. That's why I'm talking past tense. It's not like you're dead. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Peak downloads. Yeah, the 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 dizzying heights and the devastating Give me the of podcasting world. Uh, yeah, I'm t- we're talking like at the at the peak times, peak release times, like t- up to two million a month. We got about uh, over thirty million career downloads. Uh, top one hundred in the US, top ten in the UK. I mean, like just put top in front of anything, I guess. Um, I'm actually you, getting. A, I'm actually getting a pain in the small of my back here, sucking my own dick. Um, I was gonna say, show. I feel you're getting really excited yeah, at the other end. It's, it's the numbers. Yeah, yeah, the numbers definitely do it for you, Gordon. But I mean, look, two million downloads. So essentially, what we're talking about is you're kind of on a par with crime land. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're there. We are about. peers. We yeah, are yeah. peers. 100%. That's what we are. So listen, thank you so much for coming on, honestly, because I really appreciate it. You're a pro, so I'm a little bit nervous talking through this story with you today. This is is you and me. Come on. We know. It's just, yeah. It's all about the love of the crime. It's about the love of the murder. You want to get into it. You want to, you want to pull it apart like a, like a, a fat lad at a barbecue with a bump some pulled pork. You just want to just like, oh, just get love, it into me. I'd love a pulled pork sandwich right yeah. now, wouldn't you? Get the juices in. Um, oh, that'd be young. It's, it's, I'm delighted to be asked on. I've, I've listened to Crime Land a bunch. And to be honest, it's a really long time. And I'm, I was wondering what was taking you so long to ask me to come on. Well, I was there. nervous asking you because you're a pro. I don't want to be telling you a true crime story. I mean, you know, I look here at Crime Land, it's always... A little bit of a scratching the surface vibe. Oh yeah, I mean, I do go deep. We go right to the right to the base on those conspiracy guys. But it you takes definitely a really long go time. deep. Yeah, of course. But it feels like uh, it feels like when I was a, a you know a, a teenager trying to proposition myself to a woman. You're like, well, listen, I uh, we're we're not that I'm not that great, and uh, you're probably better at this than me. And uh, you know, it's a weird role reversal, Julie. To be fair. But, um, well, I'm all no, about the role reversal, but just to say, if we were going down that route, okay, so in terms of analogy, let's just say with Crime Land, it's just the tip, okay? Just the <laughs> just tip. Just for a minute to see that how That is feels. it. Yeah, okay. Crime Land, tagline, okay. just the tip. Okay, so <laughs> let me tell you about this one. As I say, as, as I say, I'm a little bit sweaty here telling the expert 
uh, the deets of this one. But look, we'll give it a go. Let's give it an ash check. Anyone okay, could be so, an expert if they have eyes and can read. It's totally fine. Let's. I'm looking forward to d- diving deep into this. I'm pushing my hair under my swimming cap right now. Let's go. Oh, I'm loving it. Okay, swimming cap at the ready. So, the death of Sheila Kibushi. Kib- Kibushi. So, it all started with a call to 911 on the 22nd of May 2010. So, a man was on the line telling the dispatcher that a dead female body had been found in his son's apartment in Costa Mesa, California. So this man on the line, his name was Steve Herr, and his son Sam Herr was not present in the home at the time of this discovery. Now, a bit of background on Costa Mesa because we like to set the scene here on Crimeland. It's so the place Crime- where the Costa coffee chain was was invented. Oh, right? you know, probably. But okay. this so Costa Mesa, it's a small city in Orange County, California. A well-to-do area, suburban, middle class, um, very safe, low crime rate. I'm guessing it's quite white. It is overwhelmingly white. Nearly 70% of the population was white. And in 2010, I cannot believe this statistic, only 1.5% of the population was African-American, which really makes me shudder. Like, oh, I mean, this this is Orange County. The other 28.5% to be split between uh, Asians and Latinos then, I'm guessing. Spot on, yeah. But I mean, really... Big so Filipino presence. It's, well, I mean, certainly it would have had a big California, of course. Like, yeah. it would have had a sizable Asian population. But just quite terrifying that a community could have that... Uh, you know, that tiny proportion of the population is African-American. But look, yeah. it is Orange County. So, you know, it's 2010, Orange <laughs> County. What do you expect? The police arrive and they find it, poor old Julie Kibuishi dead in the bedroom. So she's kind of sprawled across the bed, kind of hanging off the bed. And the poor girl has had a gunshot to the back of her head. There's also personal things, really offensive personal things, written on her clothing. So on the back of her shirt, somebody's written, F you, she's all yours, in what looks like a permanent marker. So police are obviously thinking, okay, this is your run-of-the-mill domestic violence murder. So sadly that this is some kind of crime of jealousy or passion or whatever it might be. And they immediately presume, okay, we need to talk to the person who owns this apartment, Sam Herr, who just so happened to be Julie's ex-boyfriend. That's typical. A boyfriend or a husband has been slighted. Do you know, uh, you write on her clothes first and then if she doesn't do what she's told, then you shoot her in the back of the head. It's really really awful, but unfortunately it does happen so often that the police were kind of thinking, okay, that is probably what happened. And just a little bit on Julie as well. Julie was a very well-liked, really popular girl, absolutely beautiful, very talented. She loved to dance. She was 23 years of age. She was extrovert, had many friends and was beloved by her family. So this was a crime that really shocked the community because she was a very well-liked, very well-respected person. She wasn't like a a drug-addled waif, a wayward wayward well no i mean even that person still deserves sympathy but but like it's a typical thing where somebody who's estranged from their family puts themselves in high-risk situations uh oh that's true you wouldn't be that surprised about something bad happening very true we were just waiting for the call this is the kind of thing that happens but judy good save gordo uh, yeah she's quite uh, regular she was and i think that's why people were really stunned by this so as i said The apartment belonged to her ex-boyfriend, Sam Herr, who was a former military man who had served in Afghanistan and who was nowhere to be found. So obviously the police went through her bag. They found the identification, credit cards, etc. So that's what led them to identify Julie as Julie. And they traced texts on her phone, which seemed to point the finger of blame firmly in Sam's direction. So the previous night, Julie had received the following texts from Sam. Can you come over tonight at midnight alone? Going out for a bit, very upset. Then a minute later, he follows this up with another text saying, please don't tell anyone. And another follow-up text reads, please, no sex. I need to talk to someone. I'm really not doing well. Julie, being the really nice girl that she is, replies with, yeah, that's fine. I'm here for you like family. So obviously they're thinking, well, look, this is pointing directly to Sam like the phone tells the story of what happened here they question Sam's dad and he insists he has no idea where his son is and he is absolutely insistent there is no way 
that his son could have done something like this. But I guess, to be fair, that's not unusual because usually parents are generally, I mean, it's very rare that a parent says, yeah, I mean, killed his ex-girlfriend. That sounds about right. That we sounds just, like my son. We were just waiting for that to happen. We were They were over at Christmas and he was kicking her under the table and we just knew something was wrong. Yeah, it's very unusual for a parent to be, which of course makes sense. You know, you, you know, your child is the apple of your eye. You're going to presume that they're innocent, etc. Even when all evidence points to the contrary. Yeah. But this dad was saying, no, you need to know my son. He is not this kind of person. So the police presume, okay, tracking this guy is not, tracking down this guy is not going to be easy because let's face it, he's an experienced army man and he's obviously on the run. They run a background check on so Sam. So Rambo started. Well, yeah. I Actually, oh God, that is an, an 80s reference right there, isn't it? Good old Rambo. <laughs> they run, I'll never forget, for because I, of course, have a twin brother. For one of my birthdays, my because of course my mom wasn't going to be arsed making two cakes. So it was only ever one cake in our household for the birthday. And <laughs> no. one year he made mom make him a Rambo cake. Now he shouldn't have even been watching this film. He was six years of age. And the following year was an 18 cake. And I was like, surely we should be doing this every second year yeah you should have got a sweet valley high cake at some point there but the good news is i'm not banging on about it i've clearly (laughs) moved on um so yeah definitely a rambo kind of vibe but they run a background now this is really shocking they run a background check on sam and they realize that this guy himself has had a very so this guy has had a really I suppose what you might call a complicated background. So this is not your run-of-the-mill like Afghan vet returning home, that he actually has previously, eight years previously to be precise, been arrested and charged with capital murder. So what? they're You're like, okay, the this is a red flag here. I oh, know. So time. like he has not just killed within Afghanistan. He has killed in California, apparently, according to this background check. But just to kind of, I suppose, go into this a little bit. So basically, here's the rundown. When Sam Hare was 19 years old, he was tried for murder because of his alleged role in the stabbing death of another 19-year-old named Byron Benito. So according to Benito's mother, Benito and Sam had been really good buddies. And the prosecutors in that case had stated that it was actually Sam who had picked Benito up at his house and then on the night of January 15, 2002, led Benito to an area behind a mobile home park where he was attacked and killed by a group of suspected gang members, one of which was, dun dun dun, Sam. So the police believe... Pogs or something? Like, what was what happened? Now, the, you know, it's been so hard to get information on this that I couldn't quite work out what the motivation was. But generally, it was just referred to as a suspected gang killing. So everything points to, it, when I say it, just being a gang killing. But I don't know, was there any other motivation there other than it was just kind of to do with gang affiliations, etc. But Can I, the can police, I pause a, a suggestion? Oh, that, well, there, there was one theory. I was just going to throw it out there that the police did think that he had been killed as a gang retaliation for another murder, even right. though he wasn't actually in a gang, gang himself. But I think that's generally always how it goes, isn't it? With yeah, gang I mean, killings, it's just retaliation after retaliation yeah, after retaliation. Maybe, yeah, all maybe of that. it was. Ben, Benito was uh, unaff- unaffiliated with any gang, which was the case, right? He wasn't. He wasn't in any gang. Yeah, he wasn't. No, that so was maybe, that was clear from the get go. So maybe Sam is like, "Come on, Benito, bring you around. We go down to this car park, and all the lads in in the gang they do what's called uh, jumping in. So basically, yeah. you, you and you get initiation. Into the gang, yeah. They kick the shit out of you, uh, yeah. dance on your head. So maybe like it was just a a, a gang initiation gone wrong. Gone wrong. Yeah, well, the only that. thing is, is that he was stabbed. So is that part of the jumping in? I Probably know that they not. do tend to beat them up, but I think stabbing someone, it, it like, it's not really welcome to my gang, is it? It's not, re- it's not, a yeah, it's not an open door kind of welcome at type situation. But I mean, 
Maybe it's just like in Scream where they're just like Skeet Ulrich is just getting stabs to the hip bone because he knows like You wow. are killing it with the with the with the nineties, eighties references today, <laughs> yeah. by the way. You know this is, it's where my head lives, that's what I say. So like maybe I don't know. It seems weird though that uh it's, it's he could a get strange away with one. Sam it's like fuck Well and you know adjacent, what was- let's say. Oh, I like that. Murder adjacent. Well, you know what was really strange about this as well, this case. So again, this is when Sam was 19. So basically, there were some of these guys pleaded guilty straight away and they accepted 15 years to life um, in prison, depending on like there were a few juveniles involved. So they got less. They, you know, they got 15 years, etc. There were 11 defendants to face charges of first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. The prosecutor decided to hold two separate trials, apparently because there were so many being charged. There was a lot of defendants here and each defendant had a separate lawyer. So it was a bit of a fecking shit show, the yeah. whole the whole court case, to be honest. And you would. Well, you would really feel for like the Benito, like the Benitos, because their son was killed, and like this was essentially a circus with all these defendants, two separate trials. Everyone's got their own lawyer, so the all five defendants from the first trial were found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. But interestingly, the remaining six. So Sam was in the second trial. Right. The remaining six went to second. The second trial, they all walked free. Right, different judge so from, maybe? That's very weird. Well, it was the same judge, but from what I've read, the only difference in the two trials was that an eyewitness didn't testify in the second trial and he testified in the first trial. So it's very hard to say, like, did the whole thing hinge on one witness? Like, you know, did he change his story? Was he viewed an unreliable witness? Was he intimidated into not testifying? Yeah, after or, the first one, maybe intimidation was probably the answer. But she I you know mean, yourself, Julie, like doing all these crime stories and you're looking at court proceedings and all this shit. The fucking American judicial system needs a kick in the hole. Like, oh my God. People are going I to mean, jail for 22 years because they said, well, I was there. Well, what was I there? Um, oh, it's, a, it's. A, I mean, you know, it's just. They speak to the police and the police write it down as the thing. And then if it's proven to be wrong, that's your I- I- indictment of guilt. It's like, you know, in my Really and depressing. In my cousin Vinny and the the karate kid is there like, I shot the clerk. I shot the clerk, like in a sarcastic New York way. Oh, very. Do you know, I was only talking about that movie the other day. Marissa yeah. Tomei won the Oscar for that one. And then she just kind yeah. of disappeared. No, she, she didn't disappear, man. She's in loads of shit. But they're all rom-coms. She, uh, there's a conspiracy around her um, g- getting that Oscar by accident. The same way that, remember Emma Stone was almost. No. Getting, uh, Moonlight. Remember Moonlight was read out. Uh, but what's and, and and Emma Stone did she win a she didn't win an Oscar did she Emma for Stone that Oscar, awful yeah. awful film with Ryan Gosling La La Land yeah she won an Oscar for that and um, they went to but read out Beth is there film. a theory is there a theory that she wasn't supposed to get the Oscar for Marissa Tomei yeah that she wasn't <laughs> supposed to get it but they read it her name wrong and then they gave it to her and they were like oh whoops that wasn't supposed to happen oh well. And they just couldn't like correct themselves, so they just let her keep it. There's a conspiracy around that. But Emma, but like, uh, I would, I remember wonder, the year the La La Land was in the Oscars, and uh, what's your man's name? Warren Beatty was reading out the thing, and he opened yes, up. Yes, and he read it wrong. Yeah, and then Moonlight had to come up and get their thing, and the thought La La Land had won Best Picture. Oh. So it was that kind of it situation. It was a great moment. I mean, it was, but uh, poor old, poor old uh, Marissa Tomei, and I was holding a tainted statue. I'm going to I'm gonna look up a bit on that now because that interests me. By the way, if you haven't seen My Cousin Vinny, you need to check it out. It's a great movie. It's a, so, a, yeah, a look. perfect example of, of uh, Southern court proceedings, like the farce yeah. that is the US legal system. Oh, and it's brilliant. I mean, I have to say, like, it is brilliant. I mean, Joe Pesci is yeah. just mwah, chef's kiss brilliant in that movie. All those but no, through all these leaves... Love that shit. Gordo, you're very good at the accents. Thanks very much. I have to move it on here because you're a bit too good at Sorry. the accents, <laughs> if I have to say. <laughs> but anyway, so look, there is the possibility that we have to throw it out there that the other six defendants were all innocent. They were found not guilty, but it's just a little bit, you know, there's something a bit fishy about the whole thing there for mm. sure. Uh, but anyway, look, back to 2010. So after the discovery of Judy's body, the manhunt begins and quickly... They tra- can track Sam down because 
his credit card is in use. He's using his credit card. So they they locate Sam on the basis of his credit card anyway and the use of the credit card. They track him down to a local bank. So the bank CCTV is obviously pulled straight away and they see a man using Sam Hur's ATM card, but it's not actually Sam. Uh-oh. So they're like, okay, who is this guy? So luckily for them, the credit card is then immediately used in a pizza restaurant. So somebody has used the credit card to order a pizza. Hopefully it's a large, not a personal sized. Prince Andrew at Pizza Express. Prince Andrew at good old Pizza Express. And so the pizza has been ordered for delivery. The police get the address from the pizza restaurant and quickly send a SWAT team to a really small kind of a modest house in Long Beach. The house is surrounded, but inside, rather than find Sam Herod, they actually find a 16-year-old teenager called Wesley Freilich. Wesley does not know Sam Herod, but he does know a guy called Daniel Wozniak, who he claims was the person who gave him the credit card earlier that day and told him essentially to just do what he wanted with it. So he had told police that Daniel had withdrawn $400 himself in the credit card told him that he was free to use the card as he pleased and that he had no knowledge of who Sam Herr was. And qu- very quickly, the police discern, okay, this is a kid who is absolutely shitting himself. He has no knowledge of this murder. He does not know Sam Herr, but we need to find this Daniel guy because he is the link between Sam Herr between him and, and her. yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's why you're here for those kind of nuggets. (laughs) So Daniel was, Daniel was now because a community theatre actor. So straight away, I'm thinking red flag, anyone who was this into community theatre. So he had difficulty holding down a job and had no real interest in working because he essentially wanted to maintain his lifestyle, which consisted of living the high life as if he was somehow a working professional actor. So he liked so to give off this like vibe. That's all, that's all of us. That's most of our Kindred spirits. Yeah, I mean, gu- guilty as charged, let's yeah. face it, like all the comedians in the house. But he, yeah, he just wanted to <laughs> we <don't>, really... <laughs> we don't... <laughs> we, <laughs> I, I don't, it's so hard to believe, isn't it, Julie, that somebody who doesn't really want to have a real job... Uh, who I who know. likes to live the high life and try to pretend to be a full time artist could potentially be uh, like a criminal hiding a dark secret, like their well, criminal past. I I couldn't. Can you think of anybody like that? I can't think of anyone that I know that's like please that. Please do not go there because thinking, I do not want this podcast too, quoted for Basham in an online <laughs> news article. Moving it on swiftly. Okay, so this guy. <laughs> Uh, wanted to essentially be an actor but look he was it was really just a hobby for him it was unpaid he was being supported by his family essentially Daniel was a bit of a scrub okay living off the rents and he was a community actor in high demand because he was available he was completely available there was no working around a day job and hence why he had no interest in working because obviously that would curtail his acting passions so the night before he had actually been so the night before um, this terrible murder he'd actually been at his bachelor party in Huntington Beach and was due to get married to his pretty fiance and fellow fellow actor Rachel Buffett the following weekend so things were going well for Daniel you know he was a reasonably good looking guy by that I mean he had a beard and (laughs) you know was reasonably popular in his community and had a very pretty fiance etc which as we know is all that matters in life, having that pretty fiancé. And that means he's a good guy. Yeah. Exactly. So the police busted him at a part, essentially like a hotel party room in Huntington Beach with his mates. So he was in the midst of, you know, drinking, etc. from the night before. It was a bit of a rollover. As I said, it had been his stag party. Police commented that his face went white when the police landed in because obviously you would get the fright of your life, but also they yeah. felt that he was hiding something because he was just very, very nervous from the get-go. His, his so face back, 70% white. 70%. <laughs> very good. Right. Yeah, I like when you do a callback like that. Um, right. Top marks for that one. Yeah, his face went 70% white for, white for shizzles. 
So back at the police station, Daniel confesses to running a credit card scam with Sam, saying that Sam had suggested Daniel use his credit card to withdraw money and make transactions and that he would then report the card stolen and that they would split the money. So again, this is like one of the oldest tricks in the book, isn't it, when it comes to credit card fraud? He's doing that, Julie. And then like... Also on the run for murder, because don't forget, like, there's a dead woman in his apartment. So he's running a credit card scam with this lad while on the run. So can you imagine him ringing up the fucking credit card company going, uh, yeah, come here, my credit cards have been stolen. Yeah, yeah. No, the day after I killed my girlfriend. Yeah. I okay, know yeah, you so definitely thanks. wouldn't be val- you wouldn't be volunteering that information because they do ask you for your last transactions and you would be a bit like I think I ordered a pizza before pizza I killed my ex-girlfriend. Sorry, yeah, of course. A bit of that for sure. So look, the, can you give me a forward and address to send a new car to? Um, not really. It's like a car on the side of the road. Like what the fuck? I'm of no abode at the moment. Yeah, Yeah, that is true. Uh, How would you order the new one? That is the big question. But they they said to themselves, look, okay, this guy is obviously a bit of an Egypt, has gotten involved with this fellow who, little does he know, has committed this terrible crime. But then Daniel volunteers something quite strange. He said that at 8.30 that morning, Sam had called to his door and said that he was after getting, quote, really fucked up on drugs and that he had gotten a gun, asked Judy for sex and shot her twice in the head when she refused him. So the police are like, whoa, didn't see that coming. And Daniel goes on to say that he dropped Sam off at a local shopping centre and hasn't never saw Sam again. So has no knowledge where he is, had no knowledge where he was going, that he just drove Sam's car to the shopping centre at Sam's request and that Sam essentially disappeared into the night, disappeared into the morning. He's already an accessory to murder at this point then. Well, already he's he's being very blasé about this, like, oh, just so you know, he told me he killed someone and I drove him to a shopping centre and he made basically made a break for it. And the police are like, that's kind of a big deal. As you say, Gordo, you are an accessory for murder. This is not, yeah, harbor, you know. Yeah, harbouring a fugitive, accessory to murder, uh, and it, co- corruption it, of justice, concealment of evidence. Like, there's a load of federal charges there on him already. In that it's confession. yeah and it's really really strange like watching the confession tapes and uh, I will give a shout out to my sources at the end actually but uh, quite a few of them have like as in these like the interview room and Daniel is here and he's volunteering this piece of information so casually he seems to have no real understanding of what he's implicating himself in here I don't think he, so, I think he's a bit tick actually I think like, he is he's, he's, saying, he's there's four federal crimes he just confessed to or whatever. And uh, I think he's he, he not that clever. That, I think yeah, you're right. If he, yeah, he confessed straight up to murder, it might be the same amount of years as like four other federal crimes in helping. It's like, as long as I didn't actually murder, it's fine. I can confess to everything else and just let me go. Like, what a fucking... Well, you really? Know, but also... You know there was something wrong with him because he was wearing chino shorts. That's the thing. And the Hawaiian shirt. But I think as well, it shows just how entitled this young man is, that he thinks he's going to get away with this because, hey, I'm not Sam. I didn't kill this girl. So, you know, look, I'm just an innocent party too kind of thing. So police obviously believe that he's covering for Sam. So they kind of spur him on uh, into being a little bit more forthcoming. So they nudge him a bit and they proceed to take his DNA. At this point, he becomes visibly more nervous and changes his story again. He says that earlier that day, he had been in Sam's. So he'd actually been in Sam's apartment and he had used the bathroom. So the police again prod him and he... Daniel is insistent that he really wants to be helpful and he tells them look please ask me more questions I want to fill in the gaps for you I want I want to help you find Sam That's a, that I sentence, want to get to the bottom of this that sentence itself I want to fill in the gaps in uh, for you like tell me what you don't know and I'll fill it in but don't like question me on stuff that you do know that I may in, oh very myself. true you know, yeah very I hadn't picked up on that yeah. yeah, actually, you're right. It is a very, very strange turn of phrase to use in that instance, isn't it? Tell, tell me what he, he also said a few times. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you want me to say. 
You're like, oh yeah, so very theatrical, yeah. like real, like what do you want from me, like this kind of stuff. Yeah, you yeah. can't handle the truth. This kind of crack. So zip, they remind zap, him. Zap, of- zip. Zap, zap. They were doing fucking yes and or something. He was like, yes and. So you shot her. Yes. And then, and they were playing, you know, it's some weird improv. It's really, I was going to say it's really bad improv. It is. So they remind him repeatedly that they have his DNA and they ask him where his DNA is going to show up. So this is like, you know, interrogation, (laughs) interrogation skills, numero uno. Daniel insists that he hasn't been anywhere near Judy's body so that the DNA will not show up there. But they then start with this kind of good cop, bad cop routine with one cop telling him like a bit of a dull moment, but hello, you have been arrested for murder. Like this is serious. And Daniel really starts to sweat now. He comes across in the interview room as just a really arrogant character because he repeatedly comes back to his only concern being getting to his wedding in a couple of days. And you're just like, Daniel, as you say, Gordo, you're either really thick or in complete denial. Like, this is serious. So he keeps saying, I will tell you anything if I can get to my wedding. Like, just really strange behavior. Eventually, he cracks and admits that Sam, when he called the door, actually brought him upstairs and showed him Judy's body. So the police bluff and tell him, well, the DNA is actually on Judy's body, your DNA, so how did it get there? And Daniel again admits that he had been standing over the body, so hence why his DNA would be on it. They tell him then, okay, well, you need to tell us what you saw like yeah. what did you see in that room the man said to him, dna he, doesn't just fall off your body and onto her body you had to have touched her and he's like well i don't know if it's on the body it just must because i was standing over this is the thing julie i think now it'll be so much more difficult to find like a serial killer or a murderer because of the like global proliferation of true crime tv shows and uh, uh, you know, CSI and science, like forensic files and loads and loads of podcasts describing how murders are done and how evidence is found. Like People we, are smarter now. Dude, we know, like, two, this is 2010. So imagine 10 years ago, there was only like mm, five different variations of CSI. That was all there was. Now there's like maybe 13 or 14, maybe forensic files, a million podcasts. Like, people know way more about criminal procedure now than they ever did. They do. Yeah. So I think he was probably, that probably explains part of his, certainly it explains a degree of his naivety for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So he was just very, like, he was very naive, either very naive or just very silly. Like one and the same, I suppose they're essentially one and the same, but he, so then he volunteers this information and they say, look, tell us what you saw. So he says, and this is a red flag for the police. He says, well, I saw two bullet wounds in the back of her head. So as yeah. we all know, you're not going to see that. So this girl had long black hair. Like you're going to see matted hair. You're going to see yeah. blood. You're not going to be able to discern two bullet holes in yeah. the back of her it's, head. It's, it's fucking, just not going to happen. It's head bolognese back there. Like you're not going to be able to tell how many bullets are in there. It's just, yeah, so they're like, okay, this guy is lying. He's lying about something. So he goes back to a prison cell and then he rings his fiance, Rachel Buffett. And of course, hello, Daniel, it's a police station. They are recording the call. But again, it seems strange because Daniel is acting as if this is a private conversation. Yeah. So Rachel, I know, did you not watch so silly. That fucking, uh, what's it called? Making a murderer? Like well, now it is twenty, me. yeah, twenty ten. To be fair, in Daniel's right, defense, right. but yeah. so Rachel tells him that she has just talked to his brother Tim and learned that Tim says that he has evidence which can be used against Daniel. So she asks Daniel what he did, what he's after doing, and he says that he has helped Sam cover something up. And when she tells him that Tim has evidence, Daniel replies that he is, quote, again, the theatrical language here, I'm doomed, he says. Yeah, that's such a wanky thing. Oh, he should honestly, we should just charge him with murder for that alone, (laughs) like this kind of language. He begs her not to go to the police with this information, and it's only now that he starts to panic a bit. Rachel, at this point, has been charged with being an accessory to murder, and she says she is going to the police with this information. And it's at this point that Daniel goes back into the interview room and says, look, I am, this is a crazy, this is just such a mad statement to open with. 
I am crazy and I did it. He says that he killed Sam and he killed Julie and that it was all about money. They ask him outright, where is Sam? He says he he is at the theater of the mini, military base oh. and he is he has been wait for it decapitated. Oh Lord. He tells oh, police no his head and arm his head and arms have been removed and he explains exactly what happened. He says that he asked Sam uh, who, of course, was his neighbour in this apartment building to move boxes in the theatre. <laughs> oh, sorry, I thought you were going to say he asked him to partake in some kind of a scene and then uh, just at the very last minute, like, he laid the gob on him and told him, like, I'm in love with you in a gay way and then he retaliated and then he killed him out of passion. That was no, I can't, I was I'm, I'm sad to say that did not happen, Gordo, but what happened was, was even worse than that. He asked yeah. him to help him move boxes in the theatre and when his back was turned unbelievably he shot Sam in the back of his head and when Sam cries out please help me I've been shot he walks how callous is this what the fuck he walks up to him he walks up to him and shoots him in the back of the head again that afternoon he goes and acts so he's after killing his neighbor Sam he goes and acts in a musical comedy play that afternoon there's photos of him acting completely normal smiling, laughing. Later that evening, he has, of course, Sam's phone. He texts Julie, lures her to the apartment, stages the crime scene to pin it all on Sam. And the next morning on the Saturday, he goes back to the theatre, cuts off Sam's head and hands and throws them in a park. That afternoon again, he goes out and acts in the same play. And this is the final day of the play. So he goes on to the cast party that evening drinking beer, laughing and joking with his friends and his fiancée, Rachel Buffett. When asked what his motive was, he was very upfront. He said, my motive was money. Sam was due, well, he had $62,000, which was kind of, I guess, his, I don't know what you would call it, but his lump sum after leaving the army. And he said Daniel was very open with the fact that they had himself and his fiancée, Rachel, had not paid for their wedding they wanted to go on a Caribbean cruise. So he essentially killed these two people to go on honeymoon. That's what his motive was. He Fuck. just wanted to go on a really nice holiday. And was him and Sam yeah. like good friends before that? Well, they seemed to have, like they were they were definitely friendly neighbours. Like they would hang out in each other's apartments like quite a bit. So I guess they were friends. And you- certainly the fact that Sam was helping him out is testament to him being sound and them having a friendly relationship. But would you think like, Say, for example, you know, you got you got an insurance payout or a lump sum or I'm trying to think of something that a, an Irish teacher would get that would be worth 60,000 in a lump sum, you know. Say you got, you got, you got, you know, you won, you won a few bob on the, on the, the local GAA club lottery or something like that. Obviously, that's somewhere. That's like in a bank or in a building society or a credit union or something. Like, how did Dan think if I shoot this cunt in the back of the head in the theatre magically he's going to be able to get his hands on the 60 grand like you have to go into the bank of fill out forms and all you know like pat short in in father ted is like did you rob the bank and he's like no father it's my money i just didn't want to fill out the forms like that's fucking unreal how he'd think he'd just get his hands on 60 grand so, like, from a dead guy like yeah it makes no just sense obviously like, not very clever yeah not very clever at all and also another person who's not very clever tim Daniel's brother. So Daniel had given him a backpack and said, you need to get rid of this backpack for me. This, you know, kind of essentially like a school bag. But instead of doing so, Tim was a bit like the rest of us, a little bit lazy. So he threw it over (laughs) the fence and his parents' home. And in the bag, they found passports, credit cards, Uh Sam's financial information and the fecking murder weapon. So like the prosecutors were just like, Chef's kiss, bag, bag of evidence. Bag of evidence yeah. At trial, uh, shock horror, the jury returned a guilty verdict within an hour and recommended the death penalty, which was handed down to him in September 2016. The big question, though, a remaining question that kind of, I suppose, still causes a bit of controversy and raises a lot of question marks to this day was whether or not Rachel Buffett knew about the murder. Now, this is a question which has captured media interest because I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that she is 
an attractive young girl. She's a former Disney princess. So people loved the narrative of this. Like, did she, was she actually the mastermind behind the whole thing? And was Daniel essentially the fall guy in the sense that he did commit this crime, but it was at her behest. So she actually appeared on Dr. Phil in 2015, which is an interview well worth a watch. And Dr. Phil is very much like, I think you're a really good actress, (laughs) but that's what you're doing. You're acting like Dr. Phil is not on the fence, but she is insistent. She's like, I had no prior knowledge. Uh, I had no idea that he was going to do this. Come on, now, however, Rachel. come on, Rachel. You got to tell me the truth. Yes. Don't, however, th- what the, don't piss on my I leg know. and tell me it's raining. Okay. Oh, you're so good at the accents, Gordo. Honestly, Doctor Phil's uh, uh, pish rogues, his sayings uh, are are. Come on say, now, Chef's kiss. Yes, and he, well, look, he is. Uh, what I love about him is what. Well, I don't like Doctor Phil ever since um, the Britney incident, but I will say what I do like about him. I will give him this to his credit. I love the fact that there's no poker face, no filter. You know exactly how he feels <laughs> yeah. about the guest. So he's very much like Rachel. He wants to say you lying bitch, but he he doesn't. He holds back. One thing that does not point to Rachel's innocence here, though, is a guy called Chris Williams came forward and he told police that he had gone to Daniel's apartment on the day that Sam had disappeared. Williams had said that he was there to collect money on a loan that he had given Daniel and Rachel. So this is the story of their lives. They were just Mm -hmm. constantly borrowing money off people and that he saw the two of them and Sam there together so that the three of them were in the apartment William told Williams told police that at one point Daniel and Sam left and that he was left with Rachel for three hours before Daniel came back with $400 which of course was the $400 that he owed Chris Williams minus Sam and that Daniel was acting very emotional and panicked so obviously police believed that by then Daniel had killed Sam and they claimed that Rachel never told them that William's have been in the apartment. Additionally, she echoed because a story. Because it was a motivation that, for the murder. Like if say, if I tell them about well, Chris being in the thing, it's they're going to think it's thing, money. It's definitely a strange thing to leave out. Like when the police are like, talk us through your day and you regret, you don't mention the fact that this guy, Chris Williams, who you owed money to, have been in the apartment. You were there in the apartment alone with him for three hours yeah. and you don't mention this. It's a very clear now, motivation she, though. Like it's a, a, a murder for money then in that case. So it's, it's probably... Yeah. So it's 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 and also what you know additionally, which I think kind of points to certainly knowledge of the crime. She said she reaffirmed a story that Daniel had told police about seeing Sam leave with an unidentified man wearing a black hat. So again, yeah. that is a lie. So it does not kind of you know it do, it certainly doesn't point to her innocence. And in November 2018, she was found guilty of being an accessory after the fact and yeah. received a sentence of two years on the first count, eight months on the second. She did receive credit for time already served and for good conduct, and she was released after six. Uh, sorry, she for good conduct, and the last six months of her sentence were served on probation. Yeah, I don't know, man. Still, so still, she is a free woman now. It still doesn't make any sense to me how the two of them, if the two of them were in it, let's just say it's Dan on his own. It doesn't make any sense to me that Dan would be like, hey, Sam, you want to go down to the theater and help me move some boxes? And then they're having the chats about it. So, Sam, come here. You know where you got all that money out of the army? Yeah. <sighs> me and Rachel are having a really tough time at the moment. Like, and we owe money all over to these motherfuckers. Like, any chance that you could, like, leave us 10 grand out of that or maybe even 20 and we'll pay you back? And Sam's like, don't know about that, Dan. Are we that good of friends? And he's like, yeah, I mean, you could give me the money or I could shoot you in the fucking head. Like, how does that play out? How does, as a motivation, how does Dan think by shooting Sam that he's going to be able to pull the well, I money think, out? Yeah. And at one point, at what point did did they kill Julie? Because she's obviously dead as well. Like, did, did he go to Julie's house? Did he text Julie? from Sam's phone and say, take the money out of the account and I'll meet you in the apartment, take it all out in cash and then shoot her and take the money. Like it doesn't, the the, the fucking uh, uh, series of events and motivations don't make any sense. If they were convicted on that, like it doesn't make sense to me. Well, I, I mean, I do think, I do actually believe that the motivation was money. I think it seems like a really, 
No, but the motivation was the sixty grand. Where, the, how would 60 you get the sixty grand, grand that, out though is the thing. That's what I'm saying. Like, well, I mean, he hadn't at that point gotten the sixty grand out, and it, uh, certainly, as you say, it makes no sense because we all know you can't just take out sixty grand from somebody's account. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe what he was hoping was because he had the ATM card that he could have used this card and essentially. I suppose, empty the account of the 60 grand. Like maybe that was his plan. But I think certainly there are a lot of questions. There's so So much that doesn't make sense. But I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that this guy, clearly, you know, not the brightest, thinks he's very, very clever, thinks he can hoodwink everyone. And it's obviously just a bit thick. Yeah. There's an, like, I think arrogance combined with stupidity is a very dangerous combination. And I think he was just very arrogant and a little bit thick, obviously wanted to maintain this lifestyle. I would say because he's clearly a bit thick, Rachel probably was in on it as well. And she was the mastermind and he was just like dumb smart. Like he I mean ultimately yeah, I think that's what I think that's what led to this very, very messy crime which did not take the police long to solve at yeah. all and I mean I like even with Daniel you would question did he want to get found out like there is an element of that did he actually want to get found out because ultimately if you're giving your brother a bag saying oh if you wouldn't mind get rid of the bag like this guy was not the swiftiest the brother yeah. everything everything a prosecutor would need was in that bag murder weapon passports credit cards the whole story was in the bag i would posit that maybe on some level he actually wanted to get found out or maybe rachel buffett was the mastermind of the whole lot and and dan came to her and said okay rachel i have the bag and all the stuff is in it she's like okay you give that to tim and get tim to throw that in the lake well, why don't I just do it? Why involve him? Because if you go and do it and someone sees you doing it, you get caught. Just get him to do it because he's totally out of the picture. Um, okay. Like, it seems like they're taking instruction. From one of the documentaries that I watched, the people that were analyzing them said uh, he was smart enough and talented enough to follow a script and to do what he was told, but he wasn't a creator. He wasn't, he wasn't oh, very good Oh, I think improviser. that's very apt, yeah. Well, he was a horrendous, let's face it, a horrendous improviser. And yeah. obviously thought that his acting skills were better than what they were. And that is, I mean, not that you want to be kind of, you don't want to be making a mockery of the situation too much, but it is actually laughable because ultimately I think probably the hardest, the, I would say the most bitter pill for Daniel to swallow was the fact that his acting was that bad <laughs> that the police both saw through it straight away? Yeah, he's like shit. I thought I'd get a. I thought I'd get a I think that I think that is Miami. the real tragedy. Yeah. That is the real tragedy for Daniel. <laughs> the ultimate the, audition. <laughs> but but that's what I mean. I think you know certainly Rachel. Now I would say, you know, I would say the phone call is I think relatively convincing. But when you look at the evidence, you know, she left out a lot of things here. And I think Daniel, not not the cleverest. I think there would have to be somebody, as you say, writing the script. And Daniel was just, when I say just following the script, clearly a psycho. Yeah. And, it started you know, to unravel after they took the DNA and he started making up stuff on his own. He's contradicting himself very quickly. And police were just like, but again, oh, this But again, it, just, it tells you so much that he obviously did not for one second believe that they were going to take DNA from him. I mean, if you're going in and connecting yourself to a murder in any way, they're going to take DNA. He did not mm. see that coming and that's what threw him. I couldn't find Julie the order of events. Did he kill Sam first and then Julie in the bedroom or did he kill her yes, first? Yes, he, kill, he killed Sam first and he had Sam's phone. So again, it makes you wonder his version of events where he shot Sam in the back of the head. You'd question was there a passcode on his phone? Did he threaten Sam to get the passcode? Like all those things I would wonder about. But Sam was killed first and then right. Judy. Maybe then, because I saw the picture of the phone. It's one of those flip Samsung flip phones. Oh, you know? okay. 2010, remember. So and, there's uh, no passcode on that. Yeah, so he was texting Julie from that. Maybe he was pretending to be Sam, kill Sam, <laughs> and then try to get Julie to take the money out on his behalf and then he was going to go to the apartment and maybe 
like the, the thing that I can't understand is how the fuck did he think he was going to get that money out of that bank account with a dead Sam? I know, I know. It it was one of the first things that struck me as well because it just made no sense at oh. all. I mean, the only thing I can think of is if he had the credit, like he had Sam's credit cards, yeah. that he was essentially looking at just emptying the account and just using his credit cards. That's that's what I think because. Yeah. He was probably living in hope that Sam's body wasn't going to be discovered and that people would just think he was on the run. And But, I mean, again, Even it comes a, back but, but to the fact six, that they would have trained to use the credit card. So yeah, none like, of it makes that's sense. That's ridiculous. At a 600-a-day limit, like in cash withdrawals that you'd have on your bank sure, account, who are you? it'd take three well, months to take out all that money. Like, Well, Gorgio, you'd know all about that with two million downloads a month. <laughs> I know. I, I feel so bad for I feel so bad for you with your six hundred dollar limit. Come <laughs> here. I have to go now and feed the baby no because bother. I have had a baby since the last Crime Mad episode. I haven't even referenced the baby, but it has happened, guys. That's why there's been a bit of a gap. Um, so my breasts are literally leaking here. I'm leaking all over myself. It's time you, to wrap it up. I'm glad that you you uh, specified that it was you that had the baby. You're not just like I have to go and feed a baby. <laughs> Myself and Gordo have had a baby. Okay, the two of us have had a baby since this podcast has begun. Now, I will get you to just give a shout out again to your wonderful podcast, even though you, do, to be quite honest, you don't need the promo. But if you're looking for real, thorough, in depth, well researched true crime that goes deep, not just the tip, the name of the podcast is, of course, those conspiracy guys we're on everything it's a great podcast anywhere you can find podcasts there's a website as well thoseconspiracyguys.com and uh, yeah come over and uh, get get deep and get come dark. on over in the words of Christina Aguilera <laughs> um, it's a great podcast and Gorgia thank you so much for being my guest thanks for having me on Julie it was great to catch up and uh, thanks so much I wish you I wish you loads of luck and uh, sure look you can come on my one in the very near future Oh, I'd love to do it again. Great show, crack. You did an episode with us before on uh, Ted Bundy, you and Emma. I did. Great crack. That was good fun. Oh my God. I think we were in your house for like nine hours. (laughs) Anyway, that's a whole other story. Gorgeous, it's been a pleasure. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.